0: Good afternoon, friends
1: and trainers. Welcome to the Limit Up Podcast. I am Dan Hodgman. I'm Jackie P. Pelzer. Did you just give yourself a nickname? Jackie P.? That's what a lot of people have called me for a while now. I didn't really come up with it. It's <laughs> <laughs> so going forward. You rarely... I'm just referring to you as Jackie P. Sure thing. Go for it. You rarely get to come up with your own nickname, so sometimes at least it's not something like yeah, goo or,
0: I'll... you know, I got a funny story about this. Uh, before we dive into trading and finance um, on nicknames, my brother-in-law, when he first met our whole family, we all have nicknames for each other in my family, and he was like, I want a nickname. And uh, everyone's like, well, what's your nickname? He goes, I go by Wolf. <laughs> this was 10 years ago, longer. This was like 15 years ago when we first met him. And everyone's like, no, you don't. And he told my sister, he made it up. And my sister told her whole family he made up his nickname, Wolf. To this day, half of us still call him Wolf. So Good for old Wolfie. He, man. That he is got his own nickname
1: to stick. Okay, so you can call me the Blade for now on. <laughs> uh, so, today, we're going to be talking eventually about being more selective with your trade entries, which is an aspect of trading and over trading I don't believe we have dived into too much and I think there's some really interesting things from a strategy standpoint there that you can take into your toolbox but first Dan we both talked before we've both been uh, busy and in meetings all day haven't had a lot of deep market analysis but you want to give this a go right now let's do it I
0: think we got to talk equities right another strong week in the equity market uh, last couple days a little bit of down um, and my dog is now knocking my desk he has been all over the place. Uh, as I was saying, so we've got the equities moving higher here this week. We got a little bit of a pullback, but you know today um, you're seeing a little bit of an uptick from them. So that pullback, something nice about pullbacks, um, we're looking on a daily chart, helps with entries um, when you take the same principles of looking at these pullbacks and looking where, hey, where's this pullback starting to end? And those are your entry points. So we had a nice little pullback stronger here today. And I think the key that I like to talk about this week has been crude oil, Jack. I mean...
1: Gap yeah, you always open. want to talk crude oil.
0: Gap open on Sunday hasn't really done much since.
1: Yeah, gap city. I guess it was priced correctly after that. Nobody really had any uh, other opinions in the matter, right? If I, I'm looking at the ES right now, I think there is some. You know, we're going into holiday weekend. We got a jobs report coming out. People are just waiting for the next piece of news. And what are they attached to? ES today bounced hard off of that. You know, sometimes trading is just in the fields. Those big f round numbers like the 100 the BFRN. Uh, we were talking to producer holden is in the top step employee trading combine right now learning to uh trade futures for the first time and i think my piece of advice for him today would just be see a number with two zeros at the end <laughs> three zeros three that's where the action is that's a good number that's a great number really good number at. so yeah, things have been relatively strong. We're still on. We've discussed this longer-term trend that we're not ready to call a complete trend yet. But since October, the ES has been cruising along pretty well. I mean, there's a pretty strong trend there if you look at it. Yeah, we talked about that on Tuesday,
0: Jack. You know, how do we feel about these? And I think they're you – know, my, my thinking behind it, this is a really great time, in my opinion, to be a shorter time frame trader. Um, and again, there's trading, there's investing. Two different uh, caps to put on, as they say. Uh, short timeframe trader, you can be nimble with it. Nimble's been my theme all week. I've been saying that word quite a bit. But uh, bimbly bimbly. you can be nimble with it a little bit. You, if you, the market starts to go against you, you can adjust pretty, ra- rather quickly. You know, there's still a lot of concern uh, geopolitically, economically across the
1: globe mm-hmm.
0: um, that you, know, you just gotta be prepared for. Things are happening, things are happening. Personally,
1: I'm more inclined. I think it is a trend, inclined to buy here as long as nothing's happening. I think there is a drift. Money's always coming into these markets. People, uh, there's always money buying the SP 500 and the NASDAQ in every 401k. It's flowing in every month. And if you look at a chart going back to 1920, or when I don't even know if it was around then, it wasn't. The beginning of the S&P 500, 50, 70-year trend, it's up. I wish I was in
0: it in the beginning.
1: Yeah, but then you'd be like 110 years old. I'd be really rich. You'd you'd be rich. (laughs) 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 Um, But that is the trend in the absence of anything else. And right now, I'm waiting for the next piece of bad news, Fed speak. So I'm kind of riding it higher, but I'm not – committed to it's not my strong bias it's okay nothing's happening just keep on taking it if you can taking it if you can but the second there's a cpi number they don't like the second jerome powell puts his dousing rod in the wrong place and foresees something else uh we have uh, the debt limit stuff coming up as soon as there's bad news in that area or just Something happens, then I'm back to this is rangy. I'm gonna sit out and see. I'm
0: right there with you, Jack. I mean, as the old adage says, right? The, no news is good news for the stock market. um And I will say, I think the stock market over the last ten years has become more resilient to bad news. But that bad news, when it when it's bad, it really hurts. And you know that goes to when should you be in positions? When should you not? Any known news that's coming, those are great times to be conscious and and as flat as you can be. I get it, you know, there's you're in a good position. Sometimes you're going to want to ride through that number. I can totally appreciate that. But if you, you know, getting into that trade, you probably should wait until after that number comes out or or know that, hey, there's going to be some heat or risk potential uh, to these known numbers. Now, obviously, there's also uh, news that comes out that you don't know that's going to happen. That tends to have a, bigger impact sometimes on these markets
1: so here's your monthly reminder or yearly reminder or wherever we do it is that you said no news is good news in the market when we're talking about equities it's difficult to know it's all about expectations and you as a retail trader cannot judge whether a number is good or bad there are exceptions i will give an example we have jobless claims are actually ticking up right now an example of something that could go either way that's not a good number or a bad number is the employment. Because employment could be terrible. If it's terrible, that could be recession stuff, earnings they worry about. But if it's really good, well, then the Fed's hiking. That could be bad, too. That's one that I don't necessarily know what will happen. CPI right now, if CPI comes in hot, it's going down. Right. So there's different levels of confidence you can give, but the vast majority of numbers, you can't just look at what came out and be like, I'm going to buy or sell this. That's a recipe for disaster. A prime example, non-farm
0: payrolls. The big number that <clears throat> everyone likes to talk about is that unemployment number, right? There's a mm-hmm. lot more information that comes out with that. So just because maybe one looks good, though maybe that unemployment number that's the first thing you look at looks good, does not indicate any of those other metrics technically. Um, so there's a lot of more, a lot more information coming in with numbers like that, that it's, you don't know what's going to happen. There's so many traders, certainly not
1: in real time. Exactly.
0: You know, you can sit back and analyze it a little bit and say, okay, this is what, what, what just came out. But in that moment, no one's quick enough to look at all those numbers and in two seconds be able to say, oh, this is what's going to
1: happen. Yeah, but the computers are better, yeah. the tape reading thing. you know, And it, it, this wouldn't happen, but say there was a, a huge non-farm payrolls number. You're like, that's good. It's like, no, but it, they hired 5 million repo men to repossess <laughs> everyone's cars, right? I mean, the headline number, that's obviously not going to happen. But there are things in there that people are looking at. The, the um, labor participation rate, forced participation rate a big one different sectors, right? Account differently towards how people model these things. Mm-hmm. So just be careful.
0: Caution. That's the theme of
1: everything. Yeah. Speaking of which, caution, selectivity. Caution with your entries is what we want to talk a little bit about today. I like this because I think that we hear a lot. We know we say it every week, biggest tr- problem, over-trading, tied with over-levered. A lot of people, uh, I think this goes into FOMO and everything else. I think that a lot of people, I don't want to say they complain, but they are frustrated, that's a better word, with how many trade entries they see in a day and miss or how many they're going into. And what I want to talk about today is how often you should be putting on trades and what you can do to adjust your strategy if you find yourself presented with way too many, uh, entries that qualify under whatever your strategy is.
0: Jack, I think you're spot on. And I want to touch on your first point there. You know, how many times you should, how many trades you should be putting on, how you should be getting in. That is different for every single person. Um, now you don't want to catch yourself in an overtrading. You know, if you're putting on a hundred trades in a day or 150 trades in a day, you're probably, you know, you could refine that. Um, there's not a hundred or 150 great setups in a day. You're, you're taking extra shots, but I think, you know, over time, refine your strategy. You know, you hear people talk about setups, right? They have their A setups or their, their top setups, whatever you want to call it, you know, a three-star setup, whatever, whatever your best setup is. That's really where where you want to focus your your trading, you want to focus your energy towards um, those best, those best practices, those best setups that you've really focused on, because you know you're, you've defined it and you have an idea of your success rate on those types of trades. Um, you want to have take the trades that are the most successful. You don't want to take on extra risk on like those low quality setups. So really, you know, get in there, try it out. Um, that's the best thing you can do with trading is I think the market is your best educator, no matter what, no matter what anyone says, you know, you learn a lot about yourself when you start trading a little bit, you get to experience that, test things in a, a safe environment or a safer environment, um, where you don't have, you know, money on the line or you can be in a trial or in that, that practice account that top step has, uh, you can get in there, you can try things out. Um, so really think about, you know, how much you're trading. Focus on those best practices, those best setups you've got, and that's really going to help you refine um, how much execution you're doing. Which then, Jack, ties into the main topic about what what about those setups is working? Where are you getting into those trades? What kind of trades are they? Are they you know specific market state style trades? I've always used the term, you know, channels. That's what works for me. And it doesn't have to be range bound. It could be a trending market and you can kind of turn it on its side. You can flip it upside down. You can get an idea of really where you want to enter that market and find those ways to really help you um, refine your entry points.
1: It's a very visual pursuit, isn't it? I agree with what you said there. If you take 100 trades in a day and believe you me, we see this. This happens. It means automatically almost automatically i I don't think i don't think anyone listing is a trading algorithm maybe with ai trading algorithms can listen to podcasts now maybe they can do it but realistically if you take 100 trades in a day it means that you are not able to discern there's got to be 10 best or even 20 best in that case. By by definition, you're taking way you're not stringent enough with what your qualifications are to make a trade. And dance are going into it there. But I was thinking about ways that you can change your criteria to make your trade entries more selective. And the first thing I want to talk about cuz it's super easy is just time of day. There's no there's no strategy that's going to work across the entire trading day all the time. As you go and look through your data, if you, if you're taking a hundred trades in a day, just break it down hour by hour. God knows you have a big enough end value there because you probably have thousands of trades look hour by hour and see what the difference is between your win rate and risk reward. You might be shocked. You might learn. In fact, you'll probably learn depending on what your strategy is that trading in the uh, early afternoon, for instance, usually not the best opportunities there. And if you're in a program like top step or just day trading in general, where you have to be flat, there's a lot of volume at power hour. Many people can trade it, but you don't want to trade with a time limit. That's so set because things aren't going to have a way to work out. You're kind of at the mercy of the clock at that point. So that's a bad situation too. So, If you've never broken down your trades hour by hour, do it. You might be surprised.
0: I can honestly tell you for me, an hour prior to open until about 11 o'clock, those are my high success rates. Um, I grew up in a trading world that, you know, where I started was on the floor and you had to be there to find the opportunity. And I was on the option side. And, you know, the guys that, Stuck around until 2 o'clock every day, pit close. Um, You know, those guys that stuck till 2 o'clock, they found a lot of opportunity at the end of the day. And so when I moved into the screens, my mentality was you have to be here to make money. I started to Mm -hmm. learn. You can also lose money in that time. Um, On the floor, you weren't just taking trades to take trades. You were taking trade because something came into the pit. And as a market maker, you had to make the market. And then you had to take the, you know, do your job as a liquidity provider and provide that liquidity and you found a way to work around it because you were putting on positions and you were you know maneuvering things when you can be flat and avoid those times it, it it's going to be one of the best things you can do sometimes stepping away and not taking that trade is the best opportunity you have in a given day
1: one second. At some point, I may have to say a few words with my howling uh, dog down there in the corner. We and don't hear him too bad. He's a guard dog. Excellent. So that's all resolved, hopefully. Yeah, um, market making was a very different thing. And what Dan's described. in case people are new to that, is most professional traders trade like that, where you always have, we were trading stre- spreads, but we still had bids and offers in for everything all the time because we were trying to buy one thing in one market and sell it in the other quickly and then take advantage of the return uh, to the mean. And that's, I imagine how, that's how it worked here. You were in options, Dan. It's similar when you're trading options versus outright bonds. It's a similar thing. You're trying to get a better price In one or the other. I didn't trade options, but I presume this is how it works. And then get hedged in the other. It's all about the hedge. I mean, the hedge was a big deal. And you put on, you know, something
0: comes into the pit and, you know, they're selling calls, right? And you're going to give, I'll buy them here and I'll sell them here. I'm not going to give you this really tight one tick spread. I'm going to give you a three or four tick spread. Um, And my goal is to, you know, if I have to pay up, I can make my money on the hedge. Um, you know, or if I can buy it low, I might make my money on the, on the, the option and then I can hedge it um, and I can make my money there. So there's multiple different ways to work around it. Um, and when at the time, you know, when you'd stay late, there were less people in there providing that market. So you had an opportunity to, you know, pitch a different market for yourself. When you're competing, you got to tighten things up, which now this marketplace that we see today, there's a lot of competition. And so you've got, you're in a great opportunity as a trader. You don't have to take anything that shows up. You know, you can be patient. You can be sniper-like, as they say, of, you know what? I know, and this is something I do on a regular basis. I look back over my losses and my success rates. What kind of risk was I taking? You know, how much more risk did I need to turn my losers into winners? And how much risk, less risk could I have taken to still win um, on my winners and t- figuring those types of things out, looking at market state, what influence, it, what factors influence the market that day. Um, that really helps me define, okay, I have a baseline of risk I like to take. It's not mm-hmm. It's not strict. I mean, every market state's different. Looking at that ATR, I love ATR because you get an average true range. You get an idea of, hey, if the market's here, this is how much room it's got either way. But that really will force me to go, okay, I I struggle when I open up to this much risk because emotionally I'm thinking about this differently, right? They say trading is 90, 90% emotion, 10% execution, that's something you got to think about when you're taking your entries. How much risk am I willing to take on this trade? And it, does that get me to a point of invalidation? Or is that point still putting me in a valid trade? And I think that's where we struggle as a lot of traders, new and old. It's you want to get in really quickly because you see an opportunity. You, you see the upside, but are you thinking about the downside? How much risk am I taking to, to
1: make that upside? I'm going to have an aside about uh, spread trading later, but I wanted to stay on topic for a moment. That's good advice there, Dan. I'd be remiss to say, and I think you touched on this a little bit, but my other piece of advice here is you need more stringent criteria for your confirmation. 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 Like the Catholics do at eighth grade. Yep. Confirmation. I'm just going to keep on saying it because I think that – The concept of uh, confirmation is sometimes lost. It's if you're taking way too many trades, maybe you need some more, you know, an example confirmation would be you have some level and you need a certain number of bars to say close above it or below it. Something that gives you a little bit more of a filter, a stronger filter so that you are trading the play that you want and not just the noise or whatever else. So if you are making way too many trades, see if there's anything you can tweak with your confirmation. And lastly, uh, if you're trading multiple strategies, you can kind of be, do a little A-B testing here, is if you have many strategies, one of them's gotta be the worst, one of them's gotta be the best, and maybe you have a anecdotal feeling of that, but if you go back and look at the data and wean it out, there's no reason if you have five strategies or five ideas you're doing to keep the bottom one. Scrap that, and know he said scrap that S word. Scrap that, keep the four, scrap the fourth. Just narrow down the number, uh, throw out things that aren't working, extraneous strategies. Spot
0: on, because ultimately, when you are taking these trades, you're thinking long-term growth. If you're willing to take a ton of different strategies, the day the good ones aren't hitting very well, then it mm-hmm. adds on to the day that the bad ones aren't hitting very well. And that extends your losses. Um, but if you focus on those top tier setups, so to me, it's like I have a hard time of taking a trade. That's not a, I call, I, I'll call it a, an A setup. I think that's a common term people use. Like that's my, that's my A game. You know, that those, those are my big league trades. Why would you take anything else? You know, focus on those because ultimately that's what's going to help you grow. The goal isn't to make as much as possible as quickly as possible um, because you're going to lose it just as quickly at times. I see it too often and I hate when people – I see that. I don't like people losing because they got out of what was working. If you focus on the ones that work, if you focus on those, you're going to improve and grow as a trader – over time and that's really the ultimate goal here i don't want anyone ever telling me well if i can make a you know 50 grand right off the bat i'm good i'll take my money and i'll walk that doesn't do anything to me that doesn't help you 10 years from now you know if you Mm -hmm. can slowly grow you know if you take your you turn your 200 dollar trades you're making 200 bucks five times a day that's pretty darn good over time you start to grow that you, you you get to a point where you're ready and safely can size up, and you can start to grow that. And that's where this industry becomes. You can find um, s- some decent opportunity and wealth in this, in money. And it, that's what the ultimate goal is to me. I don't trade because I love trading, I trade because I like trading and the money. You know, I, I'm here for mm-hmm. both. And I think everyone else out there is in the same boat. You know, money is a really great byproduct to the work that we put into this and let that byproduct be a part of it um continue to hone in on those skills and you want that byproduct of money to be long term not this short term satisfaction
1: now i'm trying to imagine the type of person who would dedicate themselves to a trading simulator or something like that just for the fun of it like it was a uh hobby of theirs that's a very monk like discipline it would be it's completely not for the money it is for the challenge itself but i don't think anyone's really there it definitely helps to be invested in the process rather than just the money that's not good either but yeah it's there for it and most firms or a lot of professional traders in general or firms entire trade desks often are using not that many strategies, I would say. There's tweaks, but it's usually the same strategy. I mean, I was in a room with probably, you know, a hundred other traders that were basically, I would say, trying to do the same thing as far as a strategy goes. It all becomes, it was all about entries because that's where the kind of art meets the science. But... If you find something that works you don't need a lot of other stuff that's why we don't recommend like don't scatter yourself across five markets i guess that could go in there for entries too if you're trading 100 things and you're kind of all over the place with uh you know oil lean hogs platinum bitcoin what's the most obscure future you think dan orange juice oh yeah orange juice was i don't know if that's
0: still do they still have them I think they I got remember rid of it. when it was still on the floor. Um, there was a hallway with like six pits in it that had like four people apiece, max. Some of them were like one person or two people. Um, I think orange juice was one there. That may have been longer ago than my time, actually.
1: I thought, yeah, it was a trading places thing. They banned onions because the two brothers uh, stole all the onions. That's a great story. If anyone market. wants
0: a little uh, story about. The futures world go research the the onion future i think there's a there's yeah. an actual act from congress the onion act um i believe that's what it's called i could be wrong You can yeah check well the me.
1: same one or like at that time too they had rules against uh you weren't allowed they banned future box office futures i remember that one too it, yeah because if you think about it you can hedge anything right you know if you're trying to sell corn before you uh grow it Or whatever else it's not much different than if you're going to spend millions of dollars on a movie and you don't know what it's going to be maybe you would hedge the problem was that would be crooked as hell (laughs) no kidding tax city so when you're making entries you're not going to be trading block office (laughs) block office box office futures you're not going to be trading orange juice probably trading equities or something like that but take some of the things we said right time uh your criteria confirmation stuff like that and see if you can't whittle it down and make a conscious effort to if you're you are over trading count it as a win if you just trade less if you say i'm just going to take half the trades that i do on average day and you can do that i think that's successful
0: and it's going to force you to think about it too it's going to force you to think is this
1: a trade i want to
0: take if you start to cut back what you're doing The goal is to be long-term successful and i want every trader out there to you know focus on their strategies and focus on what's going to bring them success over time
1: yeah one bonus question here uh from the chat uh what do you recommend for low percentage high percentage rr so i presume that's risk reward um our going thing at top step is and i truly believe this part that if you're going to be trading outright futures You're going to put yourself at an incredible disadvantage if your risk reward isn't, let me phrase it the right way, reward risk. If your reward to risk ratio isn't greater than one, that's like bare minimum because you can't count on, you're not going to be right. Nobody's going to be right like 70% of the time. No one's probably going to be right 60 something percent of the time. If you call it a coin flip, Hogue is recommended to pass like 1.5 is a minimum. So like 150%, I suppose, of your risk or reward. But I know a lot of people, uh, myself included, when we've gotten to uh, trading futures outright, might be looking for like two or three times it. And if you're someone who's a contrarian or something uh, trying to, I'm not recommending doing this, you know, get the, the, the big short in there, you might have trades that are nine to one, 10 to one, something like that, that have a much lower percent uh, chance of working out, but you can see the tables anywhere where you can see the, uh, your win percentage versus your risk reward and what that'll pay off the break even. I, I so I th- hope that helps. Yeah. There.
0: I think you did a good job there, Jack. I think, you know, first off, your strategy is going to help define what works. I think any strategy that requires a greater than a 50% win rate over constantly, not just regularly constantly needs to be over 50% to be profitable. I think you're going to struggle. Um, these markets ebb and flow. No doubt. Some strategies, some days you're going to have 70, 80, 90% win rate. Some days you're going to be 30, 40. How do you be successful at both? No one. And I can promise you if you're applying to trade at a prop firm, no one's going to ask you about your win rate. They're going to ask you for your statements. Um, Mm -hmm. And How have you been over the last years? Well, if you say, well, I I, I won 70% of the time. How much money did you make? How much growth did you have? Uh, That's what they're going to look for. And that really needs to be your goal.
1: This is what they're looking at. Yeah. And they won't just look at how much money you made is great, but they also want to know how much risk you took to make that money. Mm -hmm. right? like it's the your utilization of capital would be a big one so how big a stack did you have and how much money did you make off it is important and then uh how risky it is what you did was to get there is probably you know i've actually i've never had to go and apply to a a prop shop with a statement before i have because yeah Mm -hmm. well we should go through that sometime run a little bit the application the
0: application process and the interview process for a prop firm
1: i think we've done something similar It was years ago but i would i would love to go back to that because it's a loony it's nothing uh, it is
0: nothing like a normal job interview a lot of quick on your feet thinking quick reaction stuff um not like you know tell me about a time that you did this in your last job and how did your manager react none of that
1: yeah so you'll have like uh then, then then you'll get there and there'll be a guy in uh who went to harvard whose boss is like a chef yeah. <laughs> right there's uh it's an interesting business we'll get into that so for now though it's a uh long weekend so we should get going pretty soon
0: go enjoy the masters everybody
1: Enjoy the Masters. I'm going to say that uh, Justin Thomas wins. We'll see if I'm right.
0: I'll, I'll go the, uh, the classic Tiger Woods. He's not looking great today, but you never know.
1: Oh, old Tiger. All right, everyone. Well, have a great long weekend. Stay safe. Trade well. Namaste. And for a second time, trade well. We'll see you then. The Limit Up Podcast is a presentation of Top Step. Check us out at topstep.com to learn more about our futures trading combine and how you can become a funded trader. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.